You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Now we are on the series on the book of Mark. All right, Mark. This time round, we're talking about Mark chapter fifteen, verse one to fifteen. I think I got it right, right? Um, and this morning, I just want to talk a bit about the greatest act of mankind. I don't know about you, but um, or what your greatest act of mankind would be, but uh, I have a few stories here, so maybe I'll just you know, throw some out and see whether you think that's the greatest act of mankind. Has everyone watched Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge? Yes. Yeah? Yeah? You know the story of Desmond Dawes? Yep. And um, they were literally fighting against the Japanese uh, soldiers, right? And they were the men, the men of the 307th Squadron. Um, they were fighting against heavily entrenched Japanese, and they were, the Japanese had the machine guns, right? And these machine guns were so intense that it could literally decapitate a soldier. So Desmond Dawes was one of those that would brave the front lines. He would run out there, he would treat the wounded soldiers, and, and he would literally tear off his medic badge. Now, that's very dangerous because, um, you know, uh, he, he might be wounded as well, Right? And the Japanese are, were ruthless then, right? Um, not now. They're, they're really nice people now. Um, if there's any Japanese here, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, the, just history, right? Um, and Desmond continually put himself in that dangerous position. On May 5th, the fighting intensified at Okinawa to the point that all men had to retreat. All the men had to retreat. There were 75 of them that were left on the escarpment. They weren't left fighting. They were left wounded. Right? And Desmond Doss would not give up. He said, no, nah, I'm not going to leave this man behind. And then he started to climb up the escarpment and find a way to bring them down. And in the end, he got all 75 men saved. Could this be the greatest act of mankind? A man, a hero, who risked his life to save 75 men. Or maybe this story. Maximilian Colby, he's a Polish priest who was sent to the Auschwitz concentration camp in 1941, the Nazis were cruel. They, slowly, they would slowly starve prisoners to death at this camp. Now, each of these prisoners would receive a small ration that couldn't even sustain a child. So they would receive a, a cup of coffee, but it's not really coffee. It's something mixed with something. They call it coffee. Um, and then they'll give a, a small piece of bread and a weak broth of soup. That's it. A broth of soup. Broth is soup. Sorry. Um, but... You know, um, that's, that's what they would give them. And there's a rule in that camp. If one person attempts to escape, they will select 10 men in that bunker and they will actually starve them to death. They will not feed them anything until they die. So, happened. One of the prisoners in Maximilian Colby's bunker tried to escape. And the, prisoners, uh, the prison guard rounded 10 men, chose 10 men from Maximilian Colby's bunker and then sentenced them to be starved to death. One of the men cried out and said, I have a, a wife and a child that I need, to, you know, I need to stay alive for. Maximilian Colby felt compassion for that man. He put his hand up, he tells the prison guard, I'll take his place. And there were all 10 of them put in prison, starved to death. Nine of them died two weeks later. Only one survived. 
Maximilian Kolbe. But unfortunately, it was so cruel that the prison guard will use a lethal injection poison and inject carbolic acid into Maximilian Kolbe. And he passed August 1941. Could that be the greatest act of mankind? I don't know about you, but this morning, I'm about to share with you what I believe is the greatest act of mankind. I've only got two simple truths to share with you from this passage. The first is this, Jesus willingly bore our sins. And number two, Jesus willingly took our place. All right? So we're going to explore this together. The first one, Jesus willingly bore our sins. Now, how did he bear our sins? Like what, what actually happened? I think we need to look at two observations here. The first is this, the baseless accusations from the priests. And the second, the response of silence from Jesus. All right? So we look at the baseless accusations from the priest. Now, Jesus was bound and he was brought to Pilate by the chief priest. He was put on trial and Pilate asked Jesus, so, are you the king of Jews? And Jesus said, sorry, and Jesus said, yes, it is, as you say, that's who I am. And then we see in Mark chapter 15, verse 3, then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. They kept accusing him of many crimes. And that's, I think, in the next slide. Can you see that? They kept accusing him of many crimes. And, and you could sense that these accusations were just hurled at Jesus. I mean, if you have been following the book of Mark, I mean, what crimes has Jesus done? Right? He has healed the sick. He had compassion on the poor. He loved. He hung out with sinners. Right? He spent time with the hurting. He fed the 5,000. Like, what possible accusations can you throw at Jesus? I mean, I don't know about you, but one of my pet peeves is when I have accusations thrown at me. And I would speak up to defend myself. I would not allow the accusation to stand. If I got evidence, I'll defend myself. I don't know about you, but that's <laughs> how I feel. But this morning... I think it's really linked to the fact of my point here today that Jesus actually bore our sins through that very act. So this morning, I'm going to get a volunteer, all right? And I've already appointed that volunteer. He's going to be my Jesus, okay? So this morning, let's get Jesus up here. Let's give Jesus a round of... No, we don't give Jesus a round of applause, but because he's coming in as... bound. Thank you, Jesus. The reason why I chose this Jesus, because he's got locks, right? <laughs> I asked this Jesus, I said, hey, are you going to grow some beard for me? He said, no, one day can't do it. Um, 24 hours, can't go that fast. That's okay. Thanks. Um, that's great. And where's my other volunteers? My chief priest who's going to do something for me. All right, come on up. Yeah. So I'll let them do their stuff. I'm going to see, and I want to imagine... I want you to imagine the chief priest hurling accusations at Jesus. Okay, you guys got to be fast, man. 
Oh, we got to make sure that they see the words here. Can we stick? Does it stick? Oh dear. Sorry guys, if the illustration fails. So imagine the chief priest just saying, Jesus, you, you know this guy, they're telling Pilate, this guy, he's a blasphemer of God. He claims to be the son of God. He blasphemes God. You know what? This guy, he's a slanderer. You know what? This guy, he hangs out with adulterers, right? So maybe he had some relationship with that woman who washed her hair on his feet, that, that adulterous woman. Yeah, maybe he's the one that had a relationship with her in the first place. Like, why would she spend expensive perfume on him? Like, you know, you know this, this guy, this Jesus, you know what? He dishonors God. Right? Because why? On Sabbath, he's supposed to be resting. Instead, he went to the fields and he went to eat. Right? He hangs out, he hangs out with his disciples. He's proud. This Jesus, you know, he's a liar. You know, he tells about, he says, you know what? One day I'm going to tear this temple down. I'm going to raise it up again in three days. That's a lie. That can't happen. You know, this Jesus, he's greedy. He's power hungry. All he wants is people to follow him. And that's it. And they were throwing accusations at Jesus. Imagine that. The king of the Jews with all these accusations thrown at him. Did you know that in early Jewish practice, in order for you to be cleansed of your sins, and in order for Israel to be cleansed of their sins, they had to pick a bull, one without blemish, for a sin offering. They would lay their hands on that bull and they'll impute their sins and they'll lay their sins and confess their sins and it gets imputed in the animal. You might be thinking, well, what has the bull done, right? I mean, the bull can't speak. If the bull could speak like Sesame Street, right? He would say, hey, this is unfair. I've been grazing grass all day. I've been laying down in the shade and I did nothing wrong. How can you impute your sins against or on me? And then this bull will carry the sins to be sacrificed to depict that the sins are dead. And for that one year, Israel is considered pure before God. Leviticus 4, that's where it's at. Let me show it to you. If the high priest sins, bringing guilt upon the entire community, he must give a sin offering for the sin he has commanded, committed. He must present to the Lord a young bull with no defects. He must bring the bull to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle, lay his hand on the bull's head and slaughter it before the Lord. The whole of Leviticus 4 is like that. Go to the next verse. If the entire Israelite community sins by violating one of the Lord's commands, but the people don't realize it, they are still guilty. When they become aware of their sin, the people must bring a young bull as an offering for their sin and present it before the tabernacle. Again, we see that the laying of the hands. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon, spoke this. The first meaning of this laying on the hands upon the head of the sacrifice is this. It was a confession of sin. The offering was a sin offering, but for sin it would not have been needed. The man who came laid his hand on the head for a sin offering, acknowledged by the act and did that he was a sinner. The chief priest didn't realize that they were sinners, but I can tell you as they were accusing Jesus, I could see them literally imputing all of Israel's sins onto him. 
he bore Israel's sins and ours as well. Secondly, notice the response of silence from Jesus. That's the second observation. Mark chapter, four, Mark chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. And Pilate asked him, Are you going to answer them? Are you going to defend yourself, Jesus? What about these charges they are bringing against you? And notice, it says here, But Jesus said nothing. And Pilate himself was surprised. Jesus, who did nothing wrong, could literally prove himself innocent. You know that? He could literally take one of these and go like, you said I'm dishonest. Well, let me tell you Pharisees, let me just pick this label off. Let me tell you Pharisees, you have been dishonest. You have been, you know, putting your hand in the tithe. You have been dishonest. And if Jesus were to open his mouth, all these labels will just fall off. All these things that have been accused will fall off because he's able to disprove every single one of them. Think about it. The moment he opened his mouth, he would. Remember the instance when the chief priests and the Pharisees brought the adulterous woman to Jesus and he says, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Remember that? That story? Yeah? And then Jesus was writing on the ground. Right? He says, Jesus, we should stone her. And Jesus stood up and says, let any of you who has no sin cast the first stone. And one of, each one of them will start to leave. But Jesus didn't do that here. He could have. But he, did not. he didn't. But because Jesus didn't say anything, said nothing, tells me one important lesson here. That he willingly bore our sins. He willingly. It wasn't like, oh yeah, you know what, I'll, I'll, just, bear my, I'll just bear your sins. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Oh, he, wasn't, he also wasn't passive-aggressive, right? He wasn't like, okay, I'm keeping quiet. You know what, but chief priest, judgment day is coming, okay? Come on, come at me, bro, bring it on. Yeah, but you know what? I'm coming again. So judgment day is coming and you guys are going to get it. That's okay, I'll keep quiet for now. But when the time comes, no, he's not doing that. He's just, he said nothing. He willingly bore our sins. And you're right, Jason and Mark. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a, slam, like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And as I looked at this illustration, and I, I was preparing this message and God just gave me this picture and that's why I thought I will just, you know, put it here in front of all of us. But as I, the more I look at it, I, I not only see that Jesus bore the sins of the Israelite community, Jesus bore my sins as well. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I struggled with lust. I struggled with greed. I struggled with being power hungry. I was dishonest. That's me. Those things that were on him, they were meant to be on me. One fell off. 
They were meant to be on me. They were meant to be on you. But he bore all your sins. He bore all our sins, the sins of humanity. Every crime that the chief Pharisees would literally accuse Jesus of, that's the sins of the world. Everything. And he bore it on himself. He is the sacrificial bull. Unfortunately, the chief priests who knew of this tradition on the sacrificial bull didn't even recognize it, right? They knew of the tradition. It was passed down through the priestly lineage and they didn't realize it. They couldn't even see it. That they're actually doing this for not only Israel, but for all of us. How do we apply this? There's one thing that we face quite often is accusations, right? Face it from maybe your wife or your, 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 your husband. You never do this, right? You never buy me roses. Okay. Um, face it from colleagues, um, you know, at work. But one of the accusations that we all face comes from the spiritual realm. Do you know that there's a term called the accuser of the brethren? Yeah? Let's go to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. It says this, Then he showed me Joshua. This is Zechariah the prophet. And let me give you a bit of context. The Jewish people were returning from exile and they were establishing the temple of God. right? And Joshua, not Moses, Joshua, but Joshua, this is a different Joshua, was about to take a new appointment as the high priest. And then Zechariah saw this vision. He says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. You know who the accuser of the brethren is? Brethren is? It's the enemy. Let me tell you one thing. In the same way Joshua about to do something great for God, he's about to take an appointment for God, the high priestly appointment, the first battle you encounter is one of accusation. Before you serve and before God calls you, before you step into that appointment, before you step into any role that you want to serve in, that, you want, that God has called you for, the first thing that will happen to you is an accusation. And the accusation is from the enemy. So I don't know about some of you. Some of you are thinking of serving. Some of you are think, have, have, you know, have heard of God's calling and you're about to step into something. I want to tell you this morning that your first battle will be this one. He will accuse you and he will tell you you are not worthy. He will tell you, you know what? I know what you did last summer. I know what you did yesterday. You know what? You told some lies yesterday. You had some bad thoughts yesterday. You know what? This week, it has been a horrible week for you because you are horrible. Are you sure you're fit for the role? Are you sure you're fit to answer this call? That's what the enemy will do. It will, he will constantly accuse you. Re Revelations chapter 12, verse 10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. This enemy has no shame. Even in God's presence, he will accuse day and night. But guess what the next verse says? Has been, he has been hurled 
down. So this morning, I don't know how you feel. I don't know what you did last summer. I don't know what you did in your past. But I want to tell you this morning that if the accusations come and you know and can sense the accusation on you, you tell the enemy, I'm sorry. You know what? You can throw that at me. You can throw all the accusations at me. You can say I'm dishonest. You can say I'm a liar. You can say I'm a cheat. You can say I've done all these things. You can say I've committed all of this against God. But I can tell you one thing, Satan, that you have no hold on me because all these things are on Him. Your accusations do not stand. I'm sorry, I got Jesus. Your voice, the things that you say, on me is just to help me focus on the things that I've done. But Jesus has said, bring those things on me so that you can look to Jesus all the time when the accusations come. You can say, I'm sorry. Sorry, Satan. But that doesn't stick on me anymore. It's on Him. And He bore all my sins, all my shame, all my guilt. And He took it to the cross and He buried it. My eyes are only on Him. There's nothing that you can say to take me down. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to yeah, you can grab a seat. Why don't we give Micah a hand? Second point, Jesus willingly took our place. We go to the next passage. We now, we are introduced for the first time, Barabbas. This character appears out of nowhere. His name is Barabbas. Barabbas, as the Bible says, He's a criminal who has caused an uprising, a led a rebellion, and he's a murderer. If there was anyone that was meant to be punished, it was this guy. It was meant, if he's meant to be crucified, it was this guy. He was a thug. Right? Everywhere he goes, you know, he brings nothing but trouble. So Pilate brings him, brings him out, and as a custom to the Jewish festival, because you know, they have kind of promised to release one prisoner every time. And in order to appease, obviously, the Jewish mob at that point in time, they, they would do that. Now, the Bible records that the Jewish crowd were demanding Pilate to keep this custom. You can imagine with me. They'll, they'll chant, release one of us. We want you to release one of us. Release one of us. And they're chanting away. And Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent and that the Jewish priests did this out of envy. So he turned to the crowd and he says, would you like me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then you could almost imagine the chief priests already knew this would happen. So they placed people in the crowd to stir up the crowd. And one of them will start off with, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. 
And you can imagine they were chanting and chanting and chanting. At this point, Pilate would probably consider, yeah, okay, this crowd is mad. Like, why, why? This is an innocent man. Why would they want him? Well, I mean, why, I mean, why would they not want to release him? Right? So he was lost for words and he says to the crowd, okay, so what do you want me to do with this king of the Jews? And you can imagine again, one from the crowd, probably a chief priest, started to stir up the crowd and say, crucify him! Started to stamp his feet again. Crucify him! Someone else in the crowd goes, oh, that's a great idea. Crucify him! And everyone started, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And this point, at this point I was reading this madness and I would imagine this crowd who saw the miracles of Jesus feeding the 5,000, who heard of his healing the sick, the blind, make the lame to walk. He hung out with sinners. He loved them. A crowd that would change their minds on him in that split second. They would rather release a murderer than an innocent man. I mean, what has Jesus done? Even Pilate find this odd. And yet the crowd kept chanting, We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. We want Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. This is madness. And Pilate points to the centurion and says, release Barabbas. The centurion walks over. Barabbas stands there with his chains. And as those shackles come free, I was like, could this be my lucky day? He puts his fist in the air. I can imagine putting his fist in the air. And he goes like, I'm free! Woo! He walks down the podium walks to his homies and his thug friends, high-fives them, yeah, man, I'm free, chest bump. Come on, I'm free. Can you believe it? Woo! And as this whole scene played out in my head, it's not fair. It's not right. There was no acknowledgement to say, thank you, Jesus. From Barabbas, he he didn't say that. He didn't even look at Jesus in the eye and go like, "Thank you." There was nothing. He just walked away, free. There was no interaction here like Jesus used to go your way and sin no more. Nothing. Jesus said nothing. The guilty completely set free, and the innocent is paying for the crimes he did not commit. There are three considerations to this narrative. Number one, the consideration of justice. Justice man, means that it's fair, right? Fair. But in this instance, it's not fair. The right decision is to let the innocent go. But in this instance, Jesus didn't get the justice he deserved. You guys feel injustice in your life? You've faced injustice before? I want to tell you that you have a saviour 
that understands. He knows what you're going through. He's been there. He's with you. Second thing, mercy. Mercy. Mercy means withholding deserved punishment. Right? Withholding deserved punishment. Maybe, maybe it could have been, when I read this passage, maybe I go like, you know what? I didn't feel like, you know, there was mercy on Jesus. Like, okay, fine. Let's just put Jesus and chain him up and put him in prison for a few days. That's fine. Like for the crimes he's committed, or maybe put him in there for, you know, for life. That's fine. But to crucify him, the crowd didn't even have mercy on Jesus. He did not face mercy. The last consideration grace grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve this is scandalous in this scandalous act Jesus willingly took the place of Barabbas a criminal, a prisoner who is undeserved who didn't even acknowledge Jesus or say thank you better that Barabbas didn't even have a a, a, a face of remorse and regret of what he has done. He did not deserve this freedom, not one single bit, and yet Jesus took his place. You see, friends, Barabbas has a meaning, its name. Ba means son of. Abba means a father. Ba, Abba. How many of you are sons and daughters of a father? <coughs> Hands up if you are. Fantastic. No one's son, son of an alien or interterrestrial being, right? No. Could this possibly symbolically represent that Jesus not only took the place of Barabbas, Jesus took the place of every son and daughter of a father? Could the Bible be telling us that Jesus actually took your place? You are a son and a daughter of a father. He took the place of every single human being on earth. As a criminal, as a sinner. So that we can walk free. So that I can be free. So that you can be free from sin, from guilt, from shame. The Bible says this. Romans 1 verse 38, we all have sinned. It says they have been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Next verse. They have no understanding. Are you guys here? They disobey their parents. Sorry, guys. Um, No fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard 
That's our place. That's our place, guys. We were meant to be chained, labeled for the crimes that we have committed. The Bible says, for the wages and payment of sin is eternal death, life without God. But you know what? We have shown, been shown grace. Jesus took my place. If it was not Jesus on the stand that day, Barabbas would have been crucified. If it was not Jesus who stood in that place that day, I would have to pay for my sins. Did Barabbas deserve his freedom? No. Did we deserve this freedom? No. But this is grace. So let me tell you that you were not shown justice, for if you were, you would have to pay for your sins. Let me tell you, you were not just shown mercy. God didn't just, you know what, it's okay. You know, this guy, he did a boo-boo yesterday. That's okay, I'll just close one eye. That's fine. You're all right. I'll just not look, okay? God didn't do that. You were shown grace. He took your punishment. He took your sins. Took it to the cross. That's my Jesus. That's Jesus. That's your suffering Savior. I don't know if there's anyone in the entire world that would do that for you. But I do know one. And he did it anyway. He bought all our sins. He took our place. That's the greatest act of mankind. This morning, I don't know about you. Maybe you have faced a bit of accusation and you feel a bit of condemnation. Maybe something's stopping you from stepping into God's calling for your life. Maybe something's stopping you from doing what God has called you to do or you know deep in your heart that that's what you want to do. You want to serve God. But you keep hearing these accusations. You keep thinking about your past and the stuff you have done. You're not proud of it. But I can tell you this morning, don't fix your eyes on what you've done. Don't fix your eyes on your sins. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because that's where all your sins are. I can feel Jesus looking across to you and saying, Son, give me your sins. Give them to me. Who are you to fight against the forces of darkness? You are no match for them. Give your sins to me and I will set you free. You can live the life that God has intended for you to live. So this morning with all eyes closed and all heads bowed,
No one is looking in this room. Every head is bowed, every eyes is cl- every eyes are closed. I just want to speak to some of you today. If you feel that you know what, Daryl, you're right. I've been facing all these accusations like from the enemy. Like I don't know what to do with them. I'm struggling. I I need I need to receive God's grace and I, I need to can you pray for me? I, I want to be able to look to Jesus all the time. I want to pray with you this morning. If that is you and you feel Daryl, you know what? Yeah. I struggle with my past, man. But since you have talked about this Jesus, I want to start afresh with Jesus. I want to fix my eyes on Him again. So on the count of three, if that is you, just want you to quickly put up your hand and then put down and then I can pray for you. Okay? Yes, I see your hand, brother. One, two, three. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand, sister. I see your hand, brother. Anyone else? I want to pray for you. I don't want you to go through this condemnation that you're facing right now because I know it has been born on the cross. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand, sister. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you that you took all our sins, every crime, every crime against God, every crime against even our closest ones, every sin that we've committed. God, you've taken it. Jesus, you've taken it on yourself. You've taken my place so that I don't need to face accusations and condemnations anymore. You have broken the chains. You have set me free. And I, and Lord, you see these hands. You see these hands. I pray that you remind them that every day that they are set free in you. That their eyes and their hearts will be fixed on Jesus, the loving Savior, the suffering Savior, the one who bore all our sins, the one who took our place in sin and buried it at the cross so that today we are in Christ. The Bible says we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're going to do in the lives of these men and women who put up their hands. That if they have received a call from you, if they have, if you've spoken to them about serving, Father, give them the confidence, not in their flesh, but in you. You make them stand. You tell them, where are your accusers right now? Stand, arise, and go and sin no more. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.